three, two, one. That's right. You're listening to the It's My Time podcast, a recording of the experiences, past and present of everyday people. Yes, indeed. And now, here's your host, the one, the only, Asher Chua. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Logan. Hey, thanks, Asher. Uh, to introduce you to the audience, I'd like to ask you, who do you say you are? Who do I say I am? Um, I say I'm a, a father and a husband, primarily. Um, uh, as far as professionally, I think I would probably call myself like a, a, I'm an entrepreneur, um, got a, a counseling practice. I'm, I'm trained formally as a professional therapist, as a marriage and family therapist, more specifically. Um, and started a, a counseling practice, have some other folks that uh, work with me at a practice in Charlotte and also gotten involved in some commercial real estate stuff in some areas of, of town, just you know, growing up in another city where that was happening a lot and yeah. tried to be smart and leverage uh, a bit um, to have, have that happening. And then I've also gotten really active on social media, I guess, in the last few years. Um, so that some people would might say I'm an influencer, but I'm going to generally call myself a socially conscious entrepreneur. I like that. And you were, you were just telling me a little bit about how you, you became, um, how you, you got into your career. You, do you mind kind of going into that? You, um, I was sure. going to ask you like, yeah, how did you, um, get into what you're doing now? So, um, it's interesting. It was uh, how I got into what I'm, I'm. I fell in love with the counseling psychology uh, framework as something that I thought that I could uh, find meaning in doing. I was really intellectually stimulated by and had a lot of formal training in, and kind of sharpened it as a craft along the way. But mm-hmm. I, I discovered that I really loved it um, after undergraduate school. Um, I was going to school at the University of Georgia and had uh, in, in Athens, Georgia. And for any of y'all out there who's, who are familiar with Athens, Georgia and University of Georgia, probably for the last two, maybe three decades, it's like top 10, maybe five party schools, period. <laughs> it's a huge party music, rock and roll environment. I was really into all of it, too into it. Um and got wrapped up in some uh, addiction stuff, alcoholism stuff early on in my young adulthood. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was finishing undergrad, it was right during the recession, like uh, end of um, 2006. And so I decided, you know, this is a good time to just do something really different. And um, I went to uh, apply to a, a wilderness therapy program. I was really looking for a structure. <laughs> primarily, I was looking for a structured and environment for myself to, to get sober, um, where I knew that I would not have regular access to what I was finding escapism in. And I knew wasn't going well, saw some other of my peers go off the deep end. It was like, you know what, I, I need, a, need a bit of structure right now. And it was a, a good place to, to be for that. And got sober, did some of my own psychotherapy, uh, really fell in love with the work that I was doing. And um, you know, being, uh, losing myself in service to others and kind of finding myself in, in the process. 
ended up enjoying it so much. Um, went to go uh, get uh, graduate studies. We're focused on that. But it's interesting. The average lifespan of people that took that job, probably uh, two to three months. We had a lot of people that would come in for one week or two weeks and just be like, deuces, I'm out. It was really hard to keep staffed. It's a super intense environment. Hmm. Um, and uh, so staying for three years was odd um there, there's some other people who not, not you know i'm i'm kind of yeah. odd who's not right um, right there met other similarly uh, uh pro-social and functionally odd folks who were doing that work for the right reasons as well and still really good friends with a lot of them today now you know uh, 20 years later yeah what i guess what, what is wilderness um what was the word it was a wilderness therapy uh counseling and education setting right. so, um, in the appalachian mountains in the foothills around uh, low gap fancy gap uh north care like right on the border between north carolina and virginia okay okay and uh no electricity living out there a group of 10 boys ages 11 to 17 that are coming down from youth detention centers or psychiatric residential treatment facilities uh, who are behaviorally, emotionally, and socially still having a hard time, don't necessarily meet the criteria for still being where they're at with intensity, or sometimes in a juvenile detention system, like, hey, we know you're a good kid and you just got caught up. Here's a shot to not be in YDC, which for those of y'all who don't know, is basically youth jail. It's kind of where they sit you away from the rest of the juveniles um, gotcha. until you're ready for jail time as an adult, which mm -hmm. unfortunately in this country, will start moving you in that direction, depending on how physically big you are or how much melanin you have in your skin, statistically speaking, uh, you know, 16, way too early to, to, yeah. to be around that population. Um, so it was really cool being able to work with a lot of these kids, giving them a shot to do something really different, as well as uh, stepping down from that level of structure and acuity yeah. and having a chance to uh, socialize and develop different coping skills and get caught up in school before they go back into their natural settings with their families or in foster homes or whatever's happening. Gotcha. I guess I, I was curious about it because I, I the closest thing I've, I've ever heard to something like that would be Boy Scout or something that's like outdoors nature or it's like okay i i guess can you explain like what how you found it and kind of like what the philosophy behind the wilderness sure. therapy is like kind of being out away from away from i guess everyday hustle and bustle and kind of just being really disconnected off the grid so to speak yeah the the philosophy is really based in experiential education mm. Um, so being able to live pro-socially in a group, using a lot of group consequences, also have different, you know, programmatic structure way of doing things to make sure it doesn't get too frustrating that anyone, you know, blows their lid, so to speak. Um, uh, using a lot of experiential education, uh, reality, therapy, natural logical consequences, uh, I would be living in group with mm -hmm. a group of boys. Um, supposed to be five days on, two days off, realistically, because it was so difficult to keep staff. It was uh, um, that would be all kinds of different uh, uh, ratios. Yeah. And uh, yeah, living up, you know, had a, a water pump, um, but you know, no electricity in the wintertime, chopping wood to fuel the, the wood stoves and you know, having oh, wow. rotations where 
building uh, semi-permanent structures with hand tools and like cutting trees down and stripping the bark and bleaching them and leaving leaving them out to sun and uh, uh, practice chopping them in rounds and doing a lot of the the math, uh, uh, figuring out blueprints for what these structures are going to look like and covering a lot of like arithmetic and all kinds of different stuff and as, as a group. And you really see kids uh, um, kind of unfold in, in, in a much more natural habitat, both socially where they're allowed to function at a developmentally appropriate level and feel safe and finally have the level of influence that a teenager needs to have in their day-to-day life. However, yeah. in a completely different setting that's highly structured, where they're also surrounded by nature and have you know, me there facilitating a, a safe and honest group process. Um, and it would go anywhere from, you know, losing time, feeling like Huckleberry Finn in the wood when you have a really high functioning group yeah. down to, um, you know, I might as well have been a corrections officer <laughs> chunks of time, you know, for several months, like depending on what's happening in the group or where you get place, what you know, your tool is, but yeah. Gotcha, man. That, that's amazing. And I'm curious, like, what is something you, you gained from the experience going there yourself initially? And mm-hmm. like, what's the reason that you chose to stay and, and become like a, a leader to be able to help young men? Yeah. Um, so the reason I went initially was because I was kind of out of control in my own life, knew that it was uh, that the, uh, on a, like, I had a careers and psychology course at university mm-hmm. in Georgia. One, yeah. The only time a dude came with flip flops on was a, 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 the representative of this company. And I was like, <laughs> like, that sounds cool. I like being, I like hiking and I don't mind those teenagers. A lot of the people that I ran with got shipped off to brat camps in Utah. And mm-hmm. uh, it kind of sounds similar, I guess, like whatever like, I, I can, I can speak, I can speak their speak mm-hmm. and, uh, and just kind of jumped on it. And uh, also, uh, yeah, at that point, I knew it was something that that needed to happen. Um, that just ticked a lot of boxes as far as could save money, work, get you know, that be in a very structured setting, be doing work that I wanted to be doing, and figure out what else I ever you know needed to figure out along the way. It was not a very sexy option per se. Like a, a yeah. lot of the people I grew up with were just like, "What are you doing?" Okay, you know, I, rem- I was uh, <laughs> dating this woman at the time um, who was like, "Hey, you know, that's I think it's really great what you're doing, but I'm never going to see you." And like, what the f- I just, like I don't get it. So I mean, like, bye, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> okay. Um, but what kept me there um, was falling in love with working with those kids, man. Um, I remember the the first group that I was in was that I got placed in because through the training, they were just that identified me as someone who was really um, steady and persistent and structured. Um, and but but also as someone that was prone to like getting pissed off and and, yeah. and redirecting and and and, and kind of losing my cool. So they went ahead and placed me in a very difficult group uh, that was had trouble with structure, being like, "Hey, he'll either learn." <laughs> To figure out into his strengths or he'll go ahead and be a, a jerk and quit. Um, and I, at, you know, one or two times I realized I acted like a jerk and learned from it and course corrected it and incorporated my own psychotherapy and figured out whatever that was. Um, but I ended up, uh, you know, working with this group that was very difficult, uh, ended up finding some rhythms and they became higher functioning and we got, ended up getting some rewards at some point as a group for yeah, most improved group on the mountain at some point. 
And I was, you know, we were all proud of ourselves. I was a rookie counselor too. So I was all like bright eyed and bushy tailed about it, thinking it was more about me than about what this group was doing at the time anyway. Like, I had some reinforcement to do. Um, <laughs> and we got to sleep inside one night as a part of our reward. And I did not bring a pillow or anything like support my head. I was like, oh, I'm just going to use um, my, my hooded sweatshirt. Like I always did on river trips or whatever, but on mm -hmm. river trips, you're kind of like your body leans into like the ground. It was like, we were sleeping on linoleum floor and I was having a really hard time figuring this out. And at one point I was like jostled awake by this movement under my head and shoulder. And, you know, just kind of instinctually, I was kind of like gave one of these <laughs> and looked over cause I was sleeping in group with 10 boys. that had like access, right. Oops, I don't know, you know, like, um, and it was one of these uh, kids that had uh, was scooting his his pillow under my head. Uh -huh. I was like, "Damn! All right, <laughs> I'm here." Um, so did did that work for for a while? Um, and then, excuse me. No, take take your time. Um, I uh, decided to focus on it in grad school from a, a, a family therapy and family systems lens mm -hmm. when started seeing uh, sibling groups come through. I would spend all this time for you know, 10 or 11 months working with a kid specifically and be like, all right, like we're going back, like you got it. And then their younger brother, three years younger comes in. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, where y'all coming from? Like, I, yeah. I'll, like I'll take it where I, wherever I can run into you and, you know. Uh, but there's there's obviously a bridge that's effed somewhere, and we mm -hmm. didn't get to that. And for me, that was uh, um, understanding the the meta and systems nature of how human beings um, are healthy or unhealthy together, uh, even mm -hmm. if that's a small dynamic as two people or a large dynamic as a community, which is generally understood as a concept called systems theory, mm -hmm. which comes from you know, 1950s models and like cybernetics and mechanical engineering, uh, and then was picked up very quickly by family systems theory, what became known as family therapy. So went to go study with uh, um, at a, the most old school program that I could find with the foundation of liberatory psychology in Portland, Oregon, and went out there for about three years, studied, had a really good time socially, really fit in, hated the weather. Uh, <laughs> and there was, and, and as as much as a socially fit in, it was also like all these super, super progressive thinking uh, for the most part, uh, uh, white people that had a really, you know, like cool and critical way of looking at things that I really dug, but also it was so whitewashed that there was very little space for practical application. And sometimes it just, there wasn't enough functionality in, in what was happening. And I was also just like, okay, cool. But like, where's the rest of the people at? Right. Um, and all like in the sun. So uh, back down south. We came. It's like, it's it's like, I guess you'd say you went to somewhere that was more theory based where you were coming from somewhere that was more practical. Totally. Totally. I, I, get I that. remember being in an airport two years into being in Portland and hitting Miami at one point and stepping out and hearing all the different accents and languages at one point, you know, I'm mm. like, <laughs> um, so, you know, also growing up in, in Atlanta, um, we lived in this neighborhood, little five points that uh, now it's super gentrified and bougie. Um, then it was the, like the funky community. 
mm-hmm. where uh, mixed race couples, LGBT couples, um, folks who were kind of had, had a, a different intersections of oppression insofar as their social location were all living together. Mm-hmm. And it was like an artist community as well. There was all this kind of like diversity, funkified stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's what I grew comfortable with, meaning like I was in an area socially or culturally that could hold a lot of different viewpoints. Like I was as a you know, little Jewish kid growing up in the South. Um, <laughs> the, so, yeah. Got you, man. And I guess I, maybe I, I didn't ask you before, like, how did you, how did your family end up like in the South? Mm-hmm. Um, so my uh, intergenerationally speaking. Well, I mean, like you, my current family. Oh, okay. I, I see what you mean. Yes. And in, intergenerational, like, I guess gotcha. your, your parents are like their, their parents. Yeah. 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 So my, on my dad's side, they settled in the Baltimore area mm-hmm. and they're primarily, uh, Russian, uh, uh Jews mm-hmm. that, um, gosh, came over, uh, pre world war, pre world war two, post world war one. Mm-hmm. And then, um, on my mom's side, uh, they are, they settled in Atlanta, uh, where there's also a large, generally you're going to find large uh, Jewish populations in, in the States, probably internet nationally. Um, if you know, not in outside of Israel, they're going to be in large urban areas. Um, the, in the Atlanta area, uh, pre probably pre-World War One, um, And then I had a, a, a grant, my biological grandfather died relatively early. Um, and I had uh, my grandmother remarried uh, a fella when I was a, a little guy um, who immigrated in uh, uh, whenever's uh, ship back over from a, a um, he was in his Auschwitz concentration camp survivor. Gotcha. Um, and uh, he was rescued by a fellow named Oscar Schindler, who's a the famous movie, Schindler's List. It's one mm. of the, 1200 stupid dumb lucky jewish folks who were rescued by this is german national who owned a factory and you know, protected uh, a large number of of jewish folks um and uh yeah he had a really in- spent a lot of time with him growing up um lived in the same neighborhood as him mm-hmm. had a funky some funky dynamics going on in, in in my household spent a lot of time with him um and uh yeah that's, true. that's where my people came from i guess maybe i feel like maybe i asked you the wrong question but i think you you answered it in the way that your mom's family settled in the atlanta area and your dad's family was up in the baltimore area and they somehow met and decided to settle in in the atlanta area yeah yeah my dad ended up um going he, he went to university of oregon from baltimore to uh, to get a degree and then came back down to Atlanta to work. Uh, gotcha. My first met in Atlanta. My dad was, uh, and they got a house and little five points. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad was uh, going to graduate school at Georgia State and working as a TA and selling computers door to door. And um, until I had enough money to buy a laundromat in what was hey, maybe still called Cabbage Town uh, and has, has also been way gentrified. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, a, I remember sitting at a table and like counting quarters as my first like my <laughs> 40 quarters at a time like, dollar if penny save penny earn and be like mm-hmm, yeah, rolling them to mom and very like ethnic thing i feel like in the states and um 
and my mom was a art uh, a, a artisan a craftsperson she's a, a ceramics a, a potter for, gotcha. for a while until she uh, health stuff fell apart more and more yeah it's cool to see how like kind of where where we end up from just where people come from and it's like your dad going from like baltimore to oregon back to atlanta and then you getting a chance to be like in georgia go to athens to portland to miami back to georgia now in north carolina it's like it's really really cool just seeing like what where you travel and kind of like what happens in between just not only the length of time but also just just the experiences we have a huge proponent of traveling um i think uh the the aussies and the australian community Mm what's more the aboriginal community i think calls it uh, going on walkabout is a, a coming of age ritual it's supposed to just like go get lost and make your way back <laughs> uh, and while that very much makes sense for people who are you know like so dialed into magnetic fields that they don't need compasses it's a very important coming of age ritual um i still think humans need to go get lost and yeah. be immersed in different social expectations and cultures and be forced to meet new people and it, it teaches you to to trust your own wings to bet on your own rhythms to uh, advocate for yourself um, as well as it's a a way to consensually be forced out of ego traveling um yeah you have to learn to, to stay you know much more non-attached to whatever your expectations are mm. um and that's easier to do when you know that it's coming from a place of your own decision making yeah uh, versus being you know challenged by the chaos of the cosmos and your own comfort zone where you're like prone to get a little bit more you know reactive about it taking things personally that really have nothing to do with us but it's easier gotcha. to move, move like water as is bruce lee would say traveling i like i like that because when when you brought up the wilderness therapy and just having boys for that matter have like how would you say participate in a similar um experience where it's that they're being put in a natural environment and essentially given things to do to help them kind of come into themselves and and really bond with people that are similar to their age but also kind of take away the the pressures of the world of just being like okay you have to do this you have to um watch what everybody's doing online okay you're not measuring up to this you're not measuring up to that so it's like seeing you bring up that example it's very eye-opening and that that's why i was curious to know like from you going in initially to get help for yourself like what was it like um when you were called upon to be helping other like younger people and just like be responsible for them now because i'm I'm guessing like, were you voluntold like, okay, hey, I, we know you're here for help, but we need you to do this. Oh, I didn't disclose that I was there for help. Mm. I didn't. Gotcha. The, uh, I was just like, I, I know I won't have DTs. I just mm-hmm. need to pay from booze gotcha. and, and, and some other stuff that perpetuated it all. Um, where did I, you know, really, if, if I, um, it was living in those spaces and, you know, uh, uh, being getting getting healthy functioning at a developmentally appropriate level for myself yeah the young man while using my gifts talents resources that i had available to me and in some ways discovering them through the trials and tribulations of the journeys that took with these boys Mm-hmm. Uh, realize that there was something so much bigger that wanted to to bet on and be be a part of 
Um, and yeah, yeah, it was, I mean, it, for how, what I've learned, how, how to think about people are happy and healthy. We, we are fundamentally collective creatures and we forget about this in our individualist culture. I think uh, uh, Carl Jung called it this like collective unconscious that we all kind of share together as, as human beings. And when you get, uh, when you're able to tap into source abundance, whatever that is for you as a human being on a personal level, and and channel all the all the energy and everything that's available to you to to find meaning through your own like blood sweat and tears day to day and be appreciated for it. Mm. Oh man! Once you find that, that's what makes human beings tick. This is this is what brought us out of the trees and into the grasslands. Uh, uh, we were you know hooting at each other with uh, a- animated, emotion filled, uh, pre-verbal stuff and sharpened sticks, and would make plans on dirt and started killing apex predators. Well, one-on-one, a chimpanzees rip our appendages off of our torso. Mm. We had, we, that was a huge leap by being collective yeah. and by knowing that each thing that we're doing, each moment fits into a group and that we're valued and, and, and appreciated for who we are and being there in that moment with our tribe. That's It takes a village to do anything worthwhile and not just raise a child. That's what that proverb is. Yeah. I think what's so cool about that is that although you went to get help or to put yourself in a better position, mm-hmm. you had the wherewithal to go be a part of a community or at least be in a place where you could help others and knowing that some way, or maybe not even knowing that that was going to help you in return. Like just yeah. that, that correlation seems like it, it it's worked. Maybe I would ask if it's worked out in a healthy way instead of assuming because it's, it's it's on, on the one hand, I, I was just speaking with a friend of mine where we come from a um, Christian background or a church background where there is this notion that um, it's better to give than to receive. But sometimes that that same thought process can be misused or misleading where you, you, um, you lose a sense of your personal value and you always think it's better to give than to receive. So in order for me to be validated or for me to be acknowledged, mm-hmm. I need to give everything of myself. And then when I'm completely empty and I'm sitting here wondering what's wrong with me, it's that it's not really something's wrong with you is just you kind of overcorrected. You're giving too much. Yeah. Right. You're giving too much. And it's okay that sometimes if you don't have something to give, you you, you cannot give it. No, you you can't. I mean, at the the end of the day, a lot of the the scripture is talking about uh, empowering people and functioning through grace and being of service. But uh, our, our fruit can only be as good as as the roots, and we can only empower other people if 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 we're uh, in a position to, to 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 help them leverage. If we're not leverage, it's 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 false. It's it's to be. It's actually a, a codependent enabling type thing, yeah. which is um, not not about empowering at all. It totally changes it, right? I mean, a lot of times people use. Uh, some of these words as 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 rhetoric to uh, control thoughts, feelings, and behaviors of others. Unfortunately, um, where did so the 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 question being like how it really went back and forth. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to go back, there were times sitting out there where I was going like this sucks. Why am I doing this? This is awful. I can like been in this problem. These kids who want to kill each other and sometimes even kill me. You know, planning how to kill me. <laughs> It's a scary thought. And uh, like feel all this like sweat dripping down my body. 
haven't showered in five or six days. I have a degree. I like, what am I doing? <laughs> there's the, 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 I went, I went through all that. And, and the other thing, interestingly enough, uh, growing up and having some funky dynamics in my own childhood and being the, the oldest, mm-hmm. there, there's always um, a part of me that can uh and really get down with um looking out for other people that seem to be marginalized in some way so it was and, and i hadn't had access to that part of me in a mm. while because i was too busy getting drunk and running around being stupid adolescent mm. um and once started uh, uh recognizing that this was a part of me and something that i was good at and could help uh, uh, people put together and um, actually like had kind of a, a knack for intellectually speaking. Um, I was like, Hey, like I, I, w- I went to college and took my fair share of classes that I was bored out of my effing skull. I don't get in- engaged in what's happening very easily. I'm super engaged in what's happening here. Um, and I work really hard and am really impactful. It appears um, I, I think I can uh, uh, make a good living doing this um, and and really love what I'm doing. Um, when I was a little boy, when I said, hey, what you know, what do you want to be when you grew up? Just like everyone else, I was like, I want to be a firefighter, policeman, or I want to be the president. Like whatever, you know, like high power, high influence jobs thinking. Um, but that's that's not uh, what 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 um it's not what I'm here to do. Um, What's funny about that? It, it's almost like, in a way, not to draw like a, a huge parallel that that may not be there, but like firefighter, policeman, um, president, they all, if they're seen in. I think there's a sense that they're seen in a way of people of service, people of not just powerful, but also people of community. Like firemen, it's like, that's someone that I can count on to if I have a problem. Hey, the president is someone that's like, okay, this is someone that I trust that's leading us that, okay, sometimes they're not good. There's there's bad, there's not so good. There's There's like almost everything in between, but it's like, I, I like that through the experience that you went through therapy in the wilderness, you also came to have the platform or develop the platform that you have now called the balanced, balanced man. And I was like, that that's so powerful. And it's something that seems like it's been more and more needed through things like the pandemic and through things just like with people yeah. like being able to put something else online, because we can always talk about the negative, but just seeing like a... a surge of people just seeing this isn't out there, but I'm going to utilize my life or utilize my experience and help other men and really let people know that it's it's okay. Like what you're feeling, it's not bad. You don't have to always like suck everything up and just push it down. It's like, no, it's okay to be emotional. Like when you told the, the story about the little kid that was seeing you struggling and he's trying to push the cot or the pillow underneath your head to help you. It's yeah. like just to have the interaction where it's like they you've been helping them and now he sees that, oh, it's like, hey, let me let me help this guy out. It's mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing. And that that almost choked me up too, because I was like, it's okay to be choked up because that's something that's valuable. And it's it's good to know that you can give, but you can also receive. And just being able to allow yourself to have both, it, it helps you operate in a world where there's an and mentality. Like two things can be true at the same time. It's not always this or that. And it's it's nice to it's nice 
nice to have like al alternatives. It doesn't always have to be we're running with this. Like, yes, it's good to be in a tribe and a community and you want to do things that are good for the community. But back to the example of like landing in Miami and having that diversity of just thought, language, expression, feeling. It's like there's something beautiful in the struggle and the pain that kind of comes through that because when you um, wash things away, so to speak, I know people say whitewash, but I'm, I'm just using the term wash. When, when things are kind of theorized so much so to where the practicality doesn't come into play, a lot of things kind of get lost in translation. And it's like, it's not a bad idea, but maybe we should try it. Or even before we try it, let's see, let's not just poke holes in it, but like, let's not be so arrogant to think that we have all the answers that everybody ever needed. Like people have been emotional. Right, right. And checks and balances. Right, right. It's like, there's some, there's been so many things that's happened over the course of history. And it's, it's strange how, um, what's the term that they say? It's like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Sure. And that, that's such a strange thing because it's like, you would never think that you could do something bad with the right mindset, so to speak. You're like, oh, like I'm, I'm well-meaning. I, I would never do that. And like, to go back to the example of um, the um, things that happened in the, I guess you'd say the mid 20th century with Germany. And, and a lot of people point to that as like, this is horrible. It should never happen again. But um, to the gentleman that you mentioned, I've, I've heard that name a lot. And I, it's um, working to make time to read things like the gulag and different things like that to really see like, these are things that not only other people did, but these are things that I'm capable of. And until I'm willing to admit that, I'll always see other people as just another like, okay, that's my enemy. It's like, no, that's kind of you. It's like everything that they're doing. I like, is how, I like how you're talking about like the more the more we can encounter each other mm -hmm. in our in our humanity, which involves fundamentally vulnerability, the stronger and more resilient we are, more intelligent, all of it. Yep. And it's uh, uh yeah, it's it's a it's a very very funky time that we're running into these days with all these isolated farming communities running into each other that it made possible to connect through information technology and everybody's spooked by each other again and having to figure out, refigure out how to do this in a way that's actually practical because apparently the civil rights movement was um, a lot of concepts that were not put into uh, practice as well. Um, and, and I go back to, to some of that, uh, or a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And the, I mean, what, what you're talking about here, I, I think is a huge misconception that happens in, especially American culture a lot. Like, you know, the more giving I'm going to be the, 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 you know, being kind is a weakness. Um, mm -hmm. If, if uh, any value you think about being that's giving, if it, if there's not reciprocation for you, it's not actually a value. Mm -hmm. It's a way that it, it's it's some kind of spiritual bypass ego trip. Like I don't know exactly what kind, but you're you know it's a, a telling yourself that you have control of a situation and things are going to be okay because you're over functioning for other people. Man, it's all about you, not about them either. It's not actually helping them. Um, so the the concept of uh, you know teaching people how to fish, not giving them fish, um, the the way that we develop boundaries with ourselves and with with each other, we should always be thinking about um, our personal integrity and the, the 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 meaning like the the core values that that help us be as uh, um, as graceful. <laughs> 
and uh, um, resourceful as possible. Yeah. Um, and I have mine like by my, by my the, the place where I am always working here at my workstation at home, my office. Um, and the, the, talking about Oscar Schindler, uh, you know, w- whatever decisions that I'm making kind of in a similar way. Um, I, I didn't realize that my grandfather was, uh, uh was on Schindler's list until, um, after he died, it was not something that that wasn't the a part that he talked about. He had a lot of survivors guilt about it. Um, I knew that only he and his brother survived of like six other siblings and his parents. I didn't know how that happened. Um, I didn't ask specifics. Mm-hmm. I knew I knew that you don't ask specifics. You're just kind of grateful for whatever stories trickle out when you're not putting pressure on people with yeah. their trauma. You use a professional a lot mm-hmm. as well. Um, but after, after his uh, funeral in my early twenties, learned that uh, he was one of the folks on, on Schindler's list. And it was part of that uh, understanding. Uh, I remember the teenager being like, "What? The, are you serious? Like, should this this has been? I mean, a movie hadn't come out too long ago, and I was trying to wrap my mind around it. Um, and I was like, okay, so I need to be a uh, if I'm going to empower people, I need to be a business person too. And I always have to be able to leverage these things off of each other. Um, and because uh, we're also functioning in a civilization that's inherently uh, capitalist. It's, it's capitalist before it even worries about human rights. Um, and it just kind of is what it is. We, we are an economic system primarily. Uh, so if, if you can't leverage yourself economically to some degree, the, the, the correlation with how much you can help people is leveraged and how much you can help other people leverage resources and how much you're leveraged and kind of yeah. all above. So um, with, with all the decisions that I make and stuff that I've gotten involved in, it's all come from the framework of, okay, how can I empower people in this space or doing things a bit differently? Um, even the you know, commercial real estate stuff, um, found, uh, this like, small office complex, um, in an area that I knew was going to go to boomtown in a few years and was, you know, the, the rent was going to balloon, um, and the pro forma that I wrote for the bank, um, and talk about all the competing areas and how I'm going to use this to be like a natural healing enclave with only natural healer, healthcare people were right down the street from the rest of the hospital stuff going on. It's a perfect location for it. And, be able to offer uh, rent rates that are within the realm of what natural healer folks can afford um, when we're surrounded by, uh, you know, uh, lawyer rates and high power accountant rates. And it's, um, it, it all has to be taken into consideration. Uh, everything is everything. We have a, a, all these competing needs and, and things that have to work together. Um, abundance is not about being greedy. Uh, abundance is about how you encounter hum- other people and encounter communities and help people leverage resources and leverage your own to uh, maximize that moving forward. That's the opposite of, of greedy. Yeah. And, and that, that always ends up coming back either in your reputation or uh, the people that want to do business with you down the line or whatever that happens to be. It's, it's usually not a short-term obvious, but it always comes back again, as long as you have enough boundaries for how you're, you're functioning with folks. I like what you said there. And it reminded me of of, uh, something I I heard recently where someone said, it's good for good people with money to help other people, because then it it kind of creates that balance. And it, it speaks to things like integrity and really being about what you believe in and like, for instance, I, I think when people talk about capitalism, it always people always equate it with greed, but it's 
I think too many times you don't we don't look too much at the what is it you'd say the supply and demand versus like the humans that are within because it's like humans are going to do human things and just one it it does i guess a lot of times it always takes one bad actor to just kind of make something corrupt or makes it to where everyone's like oh no that's not going to work anymore but like having the wherewithal to know hey this is how this environment operates and if i want to be able to have impact on it i can be a good businessman i don't have to be like that like okay everyone can look at what what they're going to get up front whether it's um people are looking at markets and being like okay yeah i, I got my money or I, i'm going to use this person up until i get what i want from them it's like it only takes what's that only just business mm, right right but it it's interesting when it's it's the people that say that and you wonder it's like okay how does that person sleep at night and depending on who you're talking to somebody can can tell you to your face one thing but then when they go home only they know what what it is that they have to contend with and the thing that's interesting is that no matter what someone shows you on the outside there's always a reflection in their actions of what's going on internally and it's it's um something that I'm learning not to really question people about like it's it's becoming interesting just to observe what goes around or what goes on in the, in my environment and just be aware that it's not up to me to necessarily control what other people's outcomes are and then when i feel the, the need to um question what they're doing it the question always comes back to me is like well what are you doing like why aren't you why, why aren't you doing something opposite of that why aren't why aren't you creating something that can help you that can help bring the opposite of that it's like if they if they're human just like you and they have the ability to speak words and to make plans and to um work at something whether they're going about it right or wrong it's like you also have the ability to do those things and what's interesting it's like on the one hand you could look at or i i'll speak about myself not to put anybody on the spot I could look at what's wrong with the situation or I could look at what's right or what I'm willing to do and also it's been a way of challenging my thinking to see okay if something is painted in a certain light and it's just like okay this is accepted things are bad it's like okay so things are bad like the sun goes down the sun comes up things are bad like are you it's going that. to change or are you just going to look at things are bad it's like come on you can't the more you sit in a place where we assume that that we don't have control in our own decision making and we're not willing to bet on ourselves the uh the the more that we're going to look at the world with scarcity mm. whether we're consciously aware of it or not um so I created the balance man plan after i got news of a sixth childhood friend that died from an overdose um mentioned being a wild high risk decision adolescent and statistically uh you know half of us don't make it um especially men um, just, you know, doing stupid high risk stuff. And so when I got news of that happening, uh, it had been a while since, uh, someone that I knew and, and ran around with younger died. And it was at a point that I was also realizing how much of an impact gender expectations have on the, the poor health of, of men and boys. And sitting there going like, gosh, like these, these folks also 
like knew what I do for a, a living. They know I'm a shrink and they still didn't call me. And like, they knew that I knew what it's like to be out there doing stupid stuff and they still didn't call me. Um, so I was like, all right, well, this is what I know how to do is study this as in depth as I can and create a system and put it online. Um, if Oscar Schindler had a factory and he leveraged that during the war when he could have been you know, making more money shelling, you know, selling shells and ammunition or whatever, um, I'm going to spend all this time and energy and what are they creating this, this bed of research and creating the, this curriculum that can be accessed super inexpensively by folks who are not willing to ask for help yet. Um, and, and try to be a, create a, a bridge in this place that is obviously broken and people are falling through. Um, and that's, that's what I could control and, uh, sort of putting it together probably a, a year before the pandemic. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, oh geez, kind of as time goes on, I'm just like, you know, man, more and more glad that, that I did that. Um, and in, in putting all that information together, ended up collecting enough stuff to, to start doing other stuff with, and you know, wrote a book and, um, got really comfortable creating content on social media. And that was just like a, a TikTok account with almost a million followers. And I got really, and, and then started releasing or uh, uploading more of that content to Instagram. And that account started to, to go nuts. Just like I was uh, taking myself too seriously. I, I, got, I allowed myself to play a little bit more on TikTok and it, and it came out and apparently it's more resonant and it's like, shit, like uh, just every time I think, I've unlocked a new kind of part of how awesome it is to bet on yourself and develop faith in your own purpose over time. Like it, it just, it keeps getting better and better and cooler and cooler. Um, and every decision continues to be about, I'm not getting too excited about it or getting attached to what it could be or should be like, um, know, know where I'm going. I don't exactly know what it's going to turn into, but uh, um, I know what kind of, of uh, vibe is going to be happening. And It'll, you know, more value I create for people and in the end, it'll come back. It's amazing. Thanks, man. So what's it, what's the experience been like, um, in creating a resource that you, you felt was needed and also the feedback you receive from people that wouldn't normally accept help or go asking for it for that matter. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it, it's just really cool. Um, building things that help people and solve problems, um, the what's been the really cool thing for me the feedback that i get is that uh people that i know who are really brainy and mm -hmm. you know lawyers and doctors and stuff uh will be like hey this was so pertinent really like uh, love these parts of it da, da, da. and uh, similarly people who are you know, like blue collar went through sophomore year of high school uh still get through it. it it's not um i spent a lot of energy making sure that it was digestible for anyone that can read a newspaper yeah um, and hearing that feedback is the coolest part for me. Um, and as well as that feedback from people from very different faith-based backgrounds, um, people who are like, you know, very much identify as, as Christians, but other people are Muslim gone through it. This is really cool and fits together with their theology. Um, as well as folks who are atheists and you know, 
exist. You know, thinking about a more a, a Gaia principle and just as a human being, mm. uh, humans are supposed to be the the liver of of, of Gaia, and the the more we you know purify ourselves and 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 help be good shepherds for the rest of the system, the the better chance we have of of, of turning the, the the health of of the earth around as as a planet. Um, how, how how is that not considered spiritual? I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, I would, um, at yeah. least. It, 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 I think it resonates with with uh, uh, people from all different walks of life. That, that's what I'm most proud. That's amazing. I I, I like that um, you 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 were diligent in your approach to really make sure that what you communicated was understood and just constantly working at just clarifying your message to make it straightforward, not to make it like, okay, here's who I am, but more so like, here's something that can serve you. And I think just kind of going back to what you said earlier about kind of taking away the ego, being part of that that program where you, you see the interaction between young men and boys for that matter that will become men and just seeing, being willing to deal with the hard times, even when you don't think you can deal with it and just kind of taking those things in and answering a call, but at the same time, making sure you step back and you don't get caught up in the the thing because it could just be like, okay, I'm just going to keep, 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 keep doing, but it's like you you have to kind of take your own medicine and say, okay, like, where, where am I at? Like, am I, am I getting too sucked into this thing or do I need to like take a break for a bit? Absolutely. absolutely. Awesome. Well, how can people find you and just learn more about what it is that you do? Sure. Thanks for that. Um, you can go to, uh, for now, balancedmanplan.com. Uh, it's a website that has all kinds of different stuff there from, you can see, you can get copies of uh, my book. Um, got it on Amazon. There's also uh, like a free chapter on, on PDF. Uh, first go on there. You can check that out. I want you to get something that you don't uh, know if you vibe with beforehand. What, what's uh, the book called again? It's called How to Human Up in Modern Society, Heal Yourself and Save the World. Mm, like right. Um, it's a, a, a pointing out, uh, it's kind of a, an intersection between psychology, anthropology, and spirituality to frame where humans have been up to this point, how and why we've gotten so lost in uh, this dystopian concrete jungle, and how to find meaning and purpose uh, within the context that we're given. Um, and it also is from the framework of something that can serve as bit of an unhealthy masculinity deconversion process um, will really kind of break down a lot of these pieces. It's like how they relate back to old school hunter warrior stuff and really don't apply to uh, who human beings are at our core anymore since we're no longer in isolated farming communities. That's a it's cool if you're think you're you know, feel like a pit bull or a German shepherd. Most men are working dogs, as I would say. Like we're all like fast twitch muscle beings. That's what we're here for to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, all those breeds are dogs before they're breeds. Uh, and if if the, 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 those meat needs as uh, animals are not met, uh, we get obsessed with the breed and we can get unstable. Um, that, that's a, a, I would especially recommend that for, you know, like a, in a space with like men's uh, reading groups or mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that, be super helpful. Or if a man in your life that you care about and wish he would like get certain things, uh, be a good gift to, to, to give as well. Um, 
that's not like a what to give a stupid man 101 kind of title, which I think a lot <laughs> of that, like, swing towards the toxic masculinity stuff tends to have a real tongue in cheek, punchy thing that doesn't allow men to be at the table and actually encountering the information. It's not actually helpful. It's yeah. like the the, uh, the the PETA people or the uh, Save the Rainforest people 30 years ago. We can't engage people by chasing them with scary images. It just doesn't help. Right. Uh, there's also a very robust blog feed with a, a lot of blogs that I've uh, created, tons of content. Um, and those, uh, the curriculum of self-guided coaching plans is there as well. Um, combinations of content and instructional videos that guide folks through uh, nine areas of, of balance. There being five core and four support mm. um, in this uh, system. Let's see. And yeah, in the next few weeks, I'll be opening up a, a, a new website uh, just at logancohen.com. As, as an author, I realized you needed to, to do that. So that's that's happening. Awesome. Um, of like course, it. as well as on, on socials, uh, Balance Man Plan or on TikTok as Healing Humanity 777. like it. And one last question I have for you is, are you still who you said you were? Oh, hell yeah. That's how I sleep. <laughs> I love it. It's funny. I, I thought I thought of an extra question as, as you were talking about your book. And I was going to ask if um, if you've heard of or if you're familiar with the No More Mr. Nice Guy book. No. It, it's an interesting book that a friend gave me last year. And I guess it, it kind of speaks to tendencies of people that could be termed quote unquote nice. And really, it goes into a bit of psychology explaining um, the difference between someone being nice to get something versus like being true to themselves and being honest about what their intentions are and not doing so not to just avoid um avoid abandonment or like really detaching from old um old modes of thinking in the way of like okay you did this coping mechanism as a child like hiding things to seem like okay like every time you like you do something wrong it's just like oh i'm just gonna hide this away like if if it's hidden it's not known it's not um it's not considered it's not anything to think about and it it is an interesting book where i'm like man i gotta go back and revisit it because like that book um um, boundaries and potentially your book it's it's um these these other books they have like you read a chapter and it's like okay here's an activity that you need to go do and one yeah. of the first things was like you need to go plan a trip for yourself by yourself and that was like the first time i remember reading that i was just kind of like I was just yeah. such in a space of just stuck where I'm like, wait, what do you, what do you mean? I got to, I'm going to go do something for me. Like, why, and that's, why? that's something that about the, the book that I was just the, the, talking about as well. It just showed you um, at the end of each chapter, there are a series of exercises to go through and, and uncover stuff. Um, and the, the piece that I've heard back from all the fellows who have gotten it as well from totally different walks of life, some that are like environmental lawyers and some that uh, 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 work on cars. Mm -hmm. It's like, Logan, why you got to write a book about me, man? Um, <laughs> actually like deconstructing the, the masculinization processes and what those things mean, how they play out socially, how they hurt us and help us. Yeah. Uh, there are just certain things. Men are really in need of a software update right now. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a ton of social and cultural and economic influence uh, available to us. If we can shift from power and control and emotional restriction to servant leadership and emotional attunement, maybe we can save the world in one generation. And, uh, it's got to be us. That's so true. Uh, 
I think I might take you up on the idea of the, the book club because it, someone had mentioned it to me before for the podcast. And I was like, I don't know how that would work, but I guess the best thing to do is just try and see it. And I guess I'd start with myself, go through it and then learn what I can learn and either try to attract people or just, just develop myself and just keep going down that track. Yeah. That'd be a great idea. Even if you you know wrote a a blog for each one and how it helped or what the critiques for it or whatever. Like how, how many dudes are doing that? That'd be cool. Mm, that'd be cool. Well, I appreciate the time, man. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to meet you and uh, um, cut it up with a little bit with you here. Stay cool down there. I will. <laughs> All right. Take be it safe. Easy. Bye.